the risks associated to this are not just, well, it's going to cost more because there's more compute involved and all of that's already measurable. What's not measurable is how do you, you know, mitigate and minimize the risk of biases and different types of decision-making aberrations that occur as a result of using a large language model. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go, the podcast where we explore the dynamic world of technology and business leadership. This is your host, Jeff Tun. In today's episode, we have the privilege of delving into the intricate role of the chief information officer and the challenges they face in navigating the ever-evolving technology landscape, especially with the introduction of AI. Our guest today, Deal Daly, is not just a seasoned innovator and an advisor, but he's also a CIO with a remarkable track record of driving business agility performance, security, and scale across diverse domains. Join us as we sit down with Deal to unravel the complexities of AI from a CIO's perspective. As he aptly put it when he and I talked a couple of weeks ago, AI is just one more thing on the CIO's plate. We'll be exploring how CIOs prioritize AI projects amidst the myriad of other crucial initiatives unraveling the strategies they employ to communicate the value of AI to CEOs and boards and understanding the nuances that differentiate an AI project from your standard IT endeavor, if there is such a thing as a standard IT endeavor. If you're curious about how technology leaders navigate this new AI landscape, prioritize projects, and bridge the communication gap with executive leadership, you won't want to miss this insightful conversation. Get ready to elevate your understanding of AI in the C-suite on this episode of Status Go. Let's dive in. Deal, thank you so much for carving out time to be with us today, and welcome to Status Go. Thanks, Jeff. It's uh, great to talk with you again and looking forward to the great conversation today. Thanks. Before we dive into AI as uh, as another thing on the CIO's plate, would you share with us a little bit about your background and, and kind of what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, glad to. Um, so I guess the executive summary level would be I have about a 30-year career in operations and technology. And it spanned several industries, uh, manufacturing, legal search, uh, financial services, uh, B2C, B2B. Um, my, my career path started with Bertelsmann AG and BMG, uh, then moved to LexisNexis, uh, then Intuit, uh, then Ancestry.com, and then Toysmith. And now um, doing advisory roles and transformation projects ad hoc. And, and I think uh, when you and I met, you were with Ancestry. That's uh, that's something that's near and dear to my heart as a as a longtime Ancestry user. 
love their platform for genealogy. So uh, that, that may be kind of what struck a chord with us when we met, gosh, years ago now out in, uh, out in Las Vegas, I think. Yes, I remember it well. Thanks. Yeah. Well, let's dive into this. Um, you know, AI has been around for a while. We've been talking about it for a while. But uh, as our listeners know, it exploded last year with the, uh, with the introduction of ChatGPT and other more consumer-focused, I suppose, uh, implementations of, of AI. Uh, and now all of a sudden, the CIO is bombarded with uh, yet another thing to have to worry about. As you've been working as a CIO and more importantly, as an advisor to other CIOs and other businesses, how do you begin to work with them to understand where this fits in their yeah. overall uh, in their overall work? Yeah, th that's a great topic. And it really starts with uh, business alignment or the alignment of uh, the technology portfolio to the business plan and strategy. So as AI topics come up amongst the business, uh, we really have to sit down with business leaders and assess the current portfolio and see yeah. if there's displacement of projects uh, or rescheduling of projects based on uh, new initiatives, uh, particularly AI ones, that might yield uh, better marketing solutions, better go-to-market solutions, better cost savings, right? whatever the benefits might be. But it, it's best to start with a base of knowledge and information. So there are a couple of strategies I try to use in working with business leaders. Uh, and that goes across the C-suite because the CEO and the general counsel and, the, and the, the CFO and the chief operating officer and the chief product officer all have unique perspectives, unique interests that they need to protect for the business. And we need to work across that group to align the work that we end up doing uh, in, in order to make sure that we're providing the best value to the business. Yeah. I love how you started with looking at the portfolio uh, because sometimes uh, uh, IT is faced with, CIOs are faced with uh, the belief that this, uh, this funnel is ever widening and always available to uh, you, you've got no constraints on your resources, right? And, and so you got 300 projects on your project list, and now you've added a bunch more. Uh, and uh, how, how do you counsel your CIO clients to be successful in that negotiation of, hey, let's move this project out and let's bring this AI project in? Yeah, I really think it, it gets to, you know, um, coordinating across the C-suite. So one of the traps that CIOs or VPs of IT can fall into is they begin to negotiate independently with each leader. And of course, each leader is going to say, yeah, my thing is the number one thing. And I have a list of five of them and you need to, to work on these today. And then when you speak to the next leader, He's got the same set of things in a different bucket, and his is most important as well. Yeah. There, there really has to be a, a cross-C-suite um, discussion around prioritizing to come up with the most important thing. Um, 
and and that's that's where a lot of uh, technology executives get stuck is they 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 don't have a forum to go across the C-suite and then say, okay, well, you know, the chief product officer wants us to do X, Y, Z. Is that more important than uh, creating a new AI-based chatbot, right, on our on our website? Which thing is more important or most important, right? You know, in, in the context of the portfolio view, right, there's a fixed set of resources, right, usually, mm-hmm. and they get consumed by whatever we're going to be working on. And and therefore, the business has to understand that that's a, a it's a, you know, a finite resource box, yeah. right? And if you want to put something in, you have to take something out, right? You got to, we can, we, unless everyone decides we're just going to make the box bigger. Okay. That's yeah. fair. Okay. <laughs> if you're going to fund more resources to do more work, or we're going to leverage a third party which has an, a cost associated with it in order to get something done, that's okay too, right? Um, but it, it really is kind of that portfolio view that allows you to have that discussion. I, I can remember when uh, I was CIO at Goodwill, which is where I was when you and I met years ago. Uh, and uh, one of the first things I did when I joined the organization was create this concept of uh, an IT steering team to help help manage the priorities. And I remember a conversation I got into with one of the members, uh, one of the other members of the C-suite, and uh, he had declined my invitation to come to the IT steering team committee. I said, Keith, uh, I I need you there. Uh, Well, what's the meeting about? Well, it's to help align priorities. He says, well, you can't tell me what my priorities are. I've got priorities in my business. You can't tell me what they are. And I changed the tune a little bit and I said, but but I have fixed resources. I have constraints that I have to manage within. I can't possibly do it all. I need your help in helping me to manage those constraints. Uh, and, and somewhere along the line, uh, he he finally agreed and started to attend the, the meetings to, to help with this. Uh, and, I, and I know that with this introduction of AI, uh, we're, we're faced with this... Uh, an, an, another bright, shiny object. So as you're counseling people to on this prioritization piece, how do you have them look at AI? What are the, what are the elements or the factors of an AI project that might be different than um, a website refresh, for example? Yeah, so there's a couple of factors that make this different. One is uh, with artificial intelligence or machine learning projects, there can be an assumed or even, you know, projected huge benefit, right? It's going to, it's going to do something dramatic, right? So that dramatic potential creates a kind of momentum of its own and an energy that, that drives enthusiasm to get something going. Let's do it. Let's get it done tomorrow. We want to be the first in to get this out there and all that. Right, that makes AI different. Um, In some cases, it's a little bit like the cloud journey, where some people said, "Yeah, okay, I'm going to be the first in," and then, then they they wind up getting all the pain and figuring out how to make it work. Right. So AI projects are similar in that there's going to be this learning phase. So what I advise is 
you know, let's learn first and then jump. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, let, let's uh, give access to business leaders, to training, to seminars, to written material that will allow them to understand what the potential benefits can be in the different type of domain areas uh, of the business, like finance and operations and customer support, marketing, sales, and so forth, and and allow them to understand all that. And then uh, I, you know, as with other new technologies, so I, I usually look at them as, you know, emerging, um, you know, kind of uh, stable and then mature, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, in the emerging category like AI is, there's a lot of thrashing that goes around in the provider community to create things that can be used. And what I advocate is a period of testing, right? So you have a, if you have a use case that is kind of a minimal risk or a less risky use case, where if you get it wrong, it's not going to hurt that bad. And it, that allows you to test things. It allows you to learn about it, how it works. Right. There are a number of, you know, considerations in this that are meaningful in that if you if you're going to use AI, are you going to have someone external develop it or are you going to try to acquire resources that that you own then to do it yourself? Have you you know, are you in a position to evaluate the risks based on the learning that you've done? Right. So th there needs to be some sort of journey line yeah. to to the adoption curve. Um, and, uh, you know, you can do things quickly as long as they're not fraught with risk and, and they're targeted on getting some result quickly so that you can do it and then learn. And if you fail at it, you pull that out, you do it differently, you get, get better at it and you learn and you do it again. Uh, and then you can get to, into more meaningful projects. So it, it, it's quite a bit like that. Well, and I love how you put it when, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, start with what you're comfortable with. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think you even uh, brought up the vision and, and mission. So uh, how are you counseling uh, your clients to start with what they're comfortable with? Yeah, that, that, that helps um, drive their thinking, right? It's like, how should they be thinking about this, right? Yeah. So you go all the way back to the, the CEO's vision and the mission of the company and what it's intended to do. Uh, that helps you kind of rationalize, are there AI projects that would be central to that vision and mission, or are they peripheral ones, or are there adjacencies that yeah. allow you to jump into some other market very quickly? Well, let's make sure that you're not, you know, contaminating your go-to-market or in your main business, right? So the, the real thing is go back to your vision and mission, align AI projects to where they fit within the business strategies that you've articulated so that they have a place, right? And you're not just saying, I have my business strategy and now I've got eight business leaders saying they have 50 new AI projects and we're just going to go start running around doing them, right? That it, that's not the right way, right? You want to align them so you select the right ones that are going to be, you know, that are going to provide the right value in the right time frame, and and can be delivered uh, with a very high quality. Yeah, I I know in your work you you also work very closely with CEOs and boards, uh, not just CIOs. How do you bridge? 
the gap between the technical aspects of AI and the strategic vision of the CEO or the leadership team? How do, how do you help navigate that? Well, as in advisory work, uh, in working with boards, they're most interested in uh, benefits and risks, right? And, and it's relatively easy for everyone to describe the benefits, uh, the potential benefits or the theoretical benefits, right? Yeah, can, yeah. Well, you know, CEOs and product people are great at telling the story about the value that this is going to bring. Um, it's, it's, diff, it's harder to articulate a real sense about the risks in a, in, in a meaningful way because it, it tends to get into a lot of what if scenarios. Well, if this happened, then that would, then this other thing would be bad, right? And sometimes that gets to, gets to be discounted. And yeah. one of the differentiators in AI is that unless AI is managed and controlled, um, it's a, like a, a living organism, right? So, for mm -hmm. example, in a large language model, uh, because it's intended as a learning system on its own, it's going to increasingly, um, in, you know, bring in new information into that model and then begin to make different types of decisions based on that new information. Yeah. And we're not really curating that really very well. So there could be biases that are bought into the results of a large language model. And that's, that's a very, very new thing, right? Yeah. How, how will anyone deal with that internally? If you don't have an expert team yourself and you're going to rely on a third party, then you really have to have a trusted partner. And I mean, really trusted that is, that is not going to deliver kind of biased results into your decision-making model that then affects your business. Yeah. So the risks associated to this are not just, well, it's going to cost more because there's more compute involved and there's more storage because there's more data. All of that's real stuff and, and already measurable. Mm -hmm. What's not measurable is how do you, you know, mitigate and, and make and minimize the risk of biases and hallucinations and different types of um, decision-making aberrations that occur yeah. as a result of using a large language model. So, uh, and since a lot of it is unknown, meaning how do you say the, what is the answer to that, right? Is the mm -hmm. answer, don't worry, we'll take care of it? Or <laughs> how, how does a third party or your own team demonstrate the ability to control that. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and that's why starting small in, in a less risky environment, uh, automating something that's simple and, and not very dramatic. I mean, we, we hear already stories of, of, you know, chat models that, you know, begin speaking inappropriately <laughs> because <laughs> you're taking in data and and some of that data is customers who aren't speaking appropriately so they don't know that that's not a right thing to do so they they begin bringing that language into their responses and it you know and and the, and that sort of you know destroys the potential benefit of automating the activity Very quickly. Right? yeah so yeah. It, there's a lot a lot of that has to be done and a lot of it's unknown right now when you're talking with with boards and CEOs about AI, what are some of the common misconceptions that you run into? 
Well, number one, that it's going to uh, improve our customer experience. And that leads back, you know, to the topic I just talked about. Yeah. Uh, it theoretically could increase because if more data is available to the model than, a, than, than, that, than data that would be available to a person, then in theory, the quality of the response could be better. Yeah. But maybe the manner of that response would not be acceptable, right? So, yeah. so, so misconceptions are that we can get the benefits without the downsides, right? Yeah. And, and that's, that's the trouble that you get into. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's, that's largely the, the misconception is that we're going to get the benefit, but how bad could the, you know, the downside really be? Be, yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden you find out it's, it's bad and we have to stop and, 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 you know, redo this. Yeah. I, I think you touched on this a, a little bit ago and I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into this. Um, this is different than a typical IT project. Uh, right. It's uh, you're, you're not just going out to get this new storage array that you're bringing in. You're bringing in, I think you called it a living organism. And we know it's still technology, but it does. It, it learns and grows. Right. So yeah. how do you approach this differently than a standard <clears throat> IT project? Well, one of the things I learned, and I'll give uh, Intuit credit for this, is we follow the, uh, a pattern of core and context. And core is, is developing capabilities that you have in your business that are specifically required for your business. Like, I have to be good at this, right? Yeah. My business has to be good at X, Y, and Z in order to succeed well. And it's you know, the countervailing thing would be, it wouldn't be something that I would have somebody else do for me, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Context or contextual things would be things that I need to get done, but I don't need to do them. I could have somebody yeah. else do them, right? It's like, you know, if you're building a big business and you need a, a telemarketing center, right? Do you build your own? No, you could just, you could rent one, right? You could, yeah. you can, you know, subscribe out to a service, Right. Uh, because you could determine that that's not central to your business. I think the thing with AI is people are going to have to figure out, is it core to their business or is it context? Mm -hmm. And the trouble with making it context is that for a third-party service that we know, we can sort of put it in a box and we know exactly what it is. We know how to measure it. We know, you know, our third-party things that we subscribe to like SaaS services and all, we know the value they provide. We know what level of mistakes they might make, right? We know what it costs and so forth, right? If you decide that AI is context or contextual to your business and give it to a third party to do, how do you manage it? How do you know it's doing the right thing? How do you, how you know those things? Because I would, I would argue that many of them right now couldn't tell you how they would do it, manage it themselves as third parties, right? Yeah. They're just building things, right? Um, so I think the core context uh, type discussion is a really important one. Uh, for some businesses, they may say, based on our business and what we do, artificial intelligence is going to be central to what we do. Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, 
you can embark on a strategy where you're going to go and hire the best possible AI, machine learning, you know, uh, data analysis, uh, technology capabilities, and hire them into your company, curate them, and so forth. Many big companies do that already, right? When they, they want something inside because they want to do it the best they can possibly do, they want to create competitive advantages within that function. So the way they do it is better than the way somebody else does it, right? If it's contextual, then you have that different problem where you say, I'm going to have third party do it, but how do I manage it? I don't know yet. Yeah. How how do you typical, I'll call them typical project management. I know we've got waterfall versus agile and, and, and that back and forth. But how do typical things like project timelines, resource requirements, and how does that differ in an AI project from uh, a new storage array? Um, well, in so, so first of all, there are known technologies and there are kind of predictable project paths for those te- types of technologies. So if you're buying a new telecom system or a new, you know, uh, network as a service. You know, many people have done this before. The project plans already exist. They're templated, right? They're applicable regardless of which technology you're going to use. Um, Sometimes as uh, products become differentiated in, uh, let's say in storage, for example, Uh, if you do hardware-based storage, then your project plan is going to look at a certain way. If Mm -hmm. it's software-based storage, that's going to be resident in a cloud, that project plan will look somewhat different, but it's going to be largely the same, yeah. right? AI has different elements to it, right? So, you you know, for an AI project, people have to map out what are all the things that need to be figured out for an AI project. And those are not, I'd say they're getting templated, meaning that they the first thing you have to do is make decisions about are you owning it? Is it core context? Are you, or is it a third yeah, party, right. right? And if you're going to own it, what are the pieces and parts of owning it? Are you going to build your own large language model? Are you going to use a public one? Are you going to have someone build one for you that they curate? So there's different types of decisions you'd make in that technology. Yeah. Much like when we start, started with cloud projects, how do you evaluate a cloud project if nobody's ever done one before? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but in, inherent in that is the same storyline that, that we had with cloud, which is if I do this, what are the risks of, that I'm going to confront? Mm-hmm. AI is the same thing, right? We're going to we're using a new paradigm, a new operational paradigm to drive benefits and cost benefits and 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 such to the business. What are the da- potential downsides? What are the risks that need to be mitigated? So my conversations with uh, product officers, CEOs, and and, and uh, revenue generating staff, for example, are all on how do we optimize what you're doing? Mm-hmm. How do we make your thing the best possible thing we could be doing? Right. My conversations with general counsels, chief risk risk officers, and CFOs are all about this is what we're talking about on this side. We're on, you know, on the left hand, uh, all these big plans about what we're going to do. I have to be the one that at least be- stokes the flame around, okay, 
here is some potential downsides. You, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. CFO, Ms. CFO, and general counsel, you need to tell me how important these risk factors are, because these yeah. are our risk factors. How important are they? Do you not care about them right now because you just want to get the benefits? But you need to be in this conversation, understanding and knowing about it so that we do the right thing. All of this has to be then put into the project plan, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, when we deliver something, we don't want the you know the general counsel coming down and saying, "Oh, that bad thing happened. How come you? How come I wasn't engaged to to help yeah. you mitigate that?" Right. So it has to be across the C-suite uh, evaluation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it sounds like when you're when you're going down this path, I I love what you stated earlier about. Start small, start with a proof of concept, start with something that's in your uh, kind of in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I think when you think about this as a as a living organism, we'll use that again. Um, uh, I wish our audience could see my air quotes. Are, <laughs> are there other unique considerations that we need to keep in mind as we head down this path uh, into uh, AI, large language models? I think the biggest thing is that the, you know, a lot of technologies are relatively static between changes that are made to them. Yeah. So if you buy a storage system, you know, until the vendor is going to upgrade or make a maintenance change or you're going to customize it in some way, you can be pretty well assured that it's going to be the same today as it was yesterday. Yeah. Right. Barring hardware issues and, you know, malfunctions or so forth. Right. Uh, but it it's predictable and it's going to be, you know, very, very, you know, stable with AI, because the results may change over time based on new data being inputted into the language model. It can't be left alone. You can't just yeah. say, yeah. oh, OK. Nobody's changed it. Well, yeah, it's going, to, it's going to be changing all the time. Right. And it may be changing so slightly that you won't notice it until something becomes egregious. Right. Yeah. So I think the ability to manage that either through the third party that you have doing this. Right. You, you should be asking the third party, how are you going to detect how this model changes over time? Yeah. And will you be able to tell me how it's changing and demonstrate examples of how it's changing so that I can assess whether I like that or not? Yeah. Yeah. And and other proofs, like, for example, how do I know that on day 37, uh, we haven't, you know, arbitrarily added PII data into this large language model? And because I have I, I'm, I'm under a regulatory scenario that requires that I don't touch PII data, <laughs> then, yeah. you know, then I can be, you know, on the wrong end of the, of the deal here. So, yeah. um, so I think it's important that they can't say, you know, as with other systems, yes, it's, it's stable and it, and it doesn't need to be addressed every day uh, because I don't need to worry about it changing. In the AI world, you need to understand whether it's changing and how it's changing. Boy, it, it sure turns our change control process and world upside down, doesn't it? Uh, because you're not bringing a change request in no. and saying, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to implement this patch or I'm going to 
do this upgrade. It's constantly doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, Deal, we, we have hit time here. And as I warned you, uh, we are all about action here on Status Go. And we want to leave our listeners with a very clear call to action. What are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? Okay, uh, two things then. The first is to align the potential AI projects to business strategies. Require that you know where they fit and what value they're bringing to where they fit. And the second is, as you evaluate them, you have to think about six streams of impact. People and skills, what are the technologies? What processes do they affect? How does it affect the culture of your organization? How does it impact the financial model that you use? And what are the security implications, right? Those are my transformation streams that I have in my head. How does it affect all of those streams? And then you'll be able to create a roadmap for the future. That's excellent. Could you repeat those six streams again? I want to make sure our listeners catch them. Sure. Uh, People, skills, that's one. Technologies, what are the processes, both technical and business? What's the culture impact? What's the financial model changes that might be incurred? And what are the impacts on security and risk? I I love that. I think that's a great uh, template, great map to use as you're thinking about any project, but specifically this new world of AI and large language models. Deal, thank you so much for carving out time to talk with us today. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed reconnecting after all these years, uh, and uh, hopefully it won't be 10 years before we talk again. Thanks, Jeff. It was great chatting with you today. Thank you. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, be sure to visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Deal Daily. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.